Welcome, everyone, to episode five of the Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Ali Matu. And I'm here with my wonderful co-host, H.A. Conrad. And we're here on a very snowy, cold, another New York uh, weekend, but um, I'm pumped to talk Sherlock today. Yes, everything Sherlock. And I know everybody should be aware of this, but just in case, we'd like to mention that this will be a spoiler-filled episode, so if you have not seen the most recent series of BBC Sherlock, I would go and watch that and then come back to this. Um, and also, if for any reason you haven't watched some of the Sherlock things we'll mention, uh, just keep that in mind before <laughs> yeah. tuning in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll 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 talk all things Sher- Sherlock, so we're going to spoil some stuff, but specifically, you must see series three with the wonderful Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes, yes. So without further ado... Oh, oh, well, hold up, hold up, Conrad. What's in our crossover today? Oh, goodness, goodness, goodness. Okay, so today we're going to do a little bit of a roundup with Sherlock. Mm-hmm. Then in the crossover cha- chamber, we have Dr. Gregory House mm-hmm. versus Sherlock Holmes, the Benedict Cumberbatch series, uh, BBC series. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a deductively amazing crossover. And we, that, we may have a, a fight, though. I don't know. We'll see I feel what happens. We may, we may. So. Um, and then we're gonna, that's going to lead into our top five today, which is uh, top five detectives. Yes, but I wish it was the top 25 detectives for there's me. there's so many. <laughs> there are so many, and I feel like I just can't mention all of them because yeah. apparently I, I didn't realize until I made up this list how much of a detective fan I was or mm. how many of the things I like involve detectives of a sort. Mm-hmm. So so we shall see. So let's dive into it. Um, we wanted to really talk about all things Sherlock today. And I think if you're going to do that, Conrad, we got to go all the way back to the beginning of where this character came from and, and how it originated. We've seen so many versions and iterations of it. But where did Sherlock Holmes really get his start? Well, I mean... He got his start in these stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And this was basically a creation of a doctor as well. Like he trained as an ophthalmologist and he just started doing some of these stories. And they were based, they were based, uh, some people say loosely, I would say maybe a little more than loosely on, um, Dr. Joseph Bell, who was a doctor at the time that would do these basically not exhibitions, but sort of little little classes where he would use deductive reasoning to make observations about different people. And Mm. it was people loved it at the time. And so when um, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, (laughs) as some people just call him Conan Doyle, but I feel like it's unfair to, to leave out the sir. That's how I feel. No, I mean, if we're going to talk about someone who's achieved knighthood, for example, Sir Patrick Stewart. Exactly. You must. You must initiate the sir. Now, so so basically, some people say that this was the first detective. It wasn't. Um, you know, Edgar Allan Poe had a character um, called uh, C. August Dupin. And then there was also um, another one by Emile Gabarro, who had uh, Monsieur Lecoq. Um, oh, nicely done. 
there we go. And, you know, so there there's different examples of this, but I would say that the Sherlock Holmes series was the first series and the first one that gained some popular, really popular, um, I don't want to say accolades, but popular following. It caught on in a way that um, other stories about detectives had not. And, you know, there's been detectives in history. Right, of <laughs> and, course. And all of that. But it seems like there was something happening around that that time, that, that, that context, uh, that point in history, where there's something happening with that context that really um, captured the zeitgeist. Because even the other characters you're talking about, they all seem to be kind of in this stretch of history and they were and so i mean 1887 was the the first time that we saw sherlock holmes and that is a pretty significant time because um this is when dr bell was giving his lectures um a little bit earlier than this or leading up to this we had um um Berillion in in paris france who was a, who basically was responsible for bringing fingerprinting into the the actual um, mainstream. Wow. Um, if you can call it that, it still wasn't being accepted widely, but this was, he was the first person to say that we could do a database of this and he did this in Paris, France. And so up until this point, um, you know, sort of detectives were not using forensic evidence. That's crazy. They were, you know, they it, weren't, they were, I, it's so hard to imagine. Fingerprints seem like such a, we don't even think of them as a technology. But back then, this is a radical new technology. And um, any idea what the the controversy was about using fingerprints? What well, uh, honestly, what it was is that people didn't actually believe that they were unique to each person. Oh, wow. So he would have to basic. he was a large part of what his battle was, was trying to prove to people that, no, everybody has a unique set of fingerprints. So I think people were concerned about people being falsely accused. Um, because that's, that's because really honestly, even in the U.S., I, the, this was not something that was adopted in the U.S. until the 1900s. That makes sense because, you know, the our knowledge of fingerprints really comes from um, what happens with human development in utero and what's going on with these fetuses. And that's how so they're pressing against these different areas of the body. That's how these fingerprints are formed. But they didn't really have that knowledge back then. Um, no, and I mean the the other the other things that are going on at this time, you know, there. I think technology is also helping out a little bit here too because this was around the time. Well, not I wouldn't say around the time, but kind of around the time that Jack the Ripper was making headlines. Um, this is in in eighteen eighty eight. When all that that sort of thing happened, and the the newspapers took this over, they made this a very scary thing for the people of London. And you you mentioned making headlines in newspapers and newspaper and um, newspaper as a, again, as a form of, as media. Right. And this is also a new thing. And the sensationalism the of yellow it. yellow journalism. Right. Um, so you had all this stuff going on. And so I really think that Sherlock Holmes came along in a time when people really wanted to figure out what was going on. There was also a lot of corruption in the criminal justice system. Mm. And I do think, based on, on what uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle did, in addition to Sherlock Holmes, um, it just it was, in some ways, I think, a way for him to, to put some of these ideas out there. I think he also found it fascinating. Um, but 
he was responsible um, for pushing to have a court of appeals created in the UK, which is the first time that it ever happened. And part of that is because he was concerned about miscarriage of justice and things like that. I had no idea. Yeah. So so it's a really, I mean, there's a ton of stuff about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Not all of it's positive. Some of it's negative too. But What's some I, of the negative stuff? Um, you know, it's it's. I'll leave, I'll leave it for our audience to figure out. But um, <laughs> I don't I don't want to badmouth or trash talk, Mister Vercon. Well, okay, I can talk Sir. about it a little. Sir, yeah, yeah. Give us a little. So the, one one of the interesting things that I find about him is that despite some of these these the deductive reasoning of the Sherlock Holmes character, his admiration for Doctor Joseph Bell. Uh-huh. And things like that is that he also developed this very um, serious belief in the occult and spiritualism. So he became really a big fan of Harry Houdini and was convinced that Harry Houdini held supernatural powers. And Harry Houdini, in fact, defrauded a lot of he was a bit of a he was a bit of a pen and teller during his time. And defrauded a lot of the magician, magicians and just showed how these things, how these tricks happened and basically said it isn't, it isn't magic, it's a trick. Um, hmm. And uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle wouldn't believe that. So there's a lot of things that he was involved in that are counterintuitive to some of the beliefs that happen surrounding or happen in the stories of the Sherlock Holmes. And that's also tapping into some of the zeitgeist of the time where magicians um, were uh, this really kind of fantastical part of culture. And even even with the uh, rise of cinema, I'm thinking about George Melier, his background, you know, he's famous for A Trip to the Moon, the first science Mm -hmm. fiction film and um, really pioneered special effects and movies. His background was as as a magician and uh, illusionists um, mm-hmm. were much more a part of the culture than they are now. It's kind of like now you go to Las Vegas and you see these shows, but um, they held more cultural capital and they, they held more of the public's imagination at that time. So I could see how Sir Arthur, Arthur Cannon Doyle would be fascinated by that. Right. Um, but, you know, and I should also, we, we can't forget to mention the fact that he did indeed get a little tired of his Sherlock Holmes stories. He did try to kill off Sherlock Holmes and just didn't, he, he wanted to dedicate more time to other things. For example, he was not actually very successful um, in the medical practice. And he was, I think, frustrated with that. And so um, in Reichenbach Falls, he did try to kill off Sherlock Holmes and there was such public outcry against it and outrage because people loved this character. They loved Mm. Sherlock. They loved Watson they didn't want him to die. And so basically, back by popular demand, he resuscitated wow. the characters and went on to write many more stories. So I don't know. It's it's just an interesting thing that now he's so embedded in our culture. And I, you know, while I think that there were different forensic techniques, rudimentary, but they were there, um, you know, the use of ballistics in the stories and things like that. This was all something that these stories brought to um, the the public uh, to the attention of the public. Um, in addition, I also think just back to the Jack the Ripper case. This is the first that uh, we know of crime scene photo that happens for one of those murders. Um, it's pretty brutal and horrific, but you can also see why this might have caused more 
more public attention being brought to how these cases were being solved and mm. the need to have tools to actually solve those cases. So it's an interesting integration between ideas, fears um, that were big in public and uh, fiction, a, a work of fiction that was in some ways giving people hope um, that these crimes, these things of our present can be solved. And it was um, art and real life kind of integrating together. And the, the archetypes in Sherlock Holmes, mainly the partnership between Watson and Sherlock, um, there's something about that, that friendship, that relationship that has really um, carried through throughout every version of Sherlock we've seen these two characters and their um, kind of their mutualism, how their strengths kind of balance each other out. Um, that's something that has been a cornerstone of this character, like the ba- the, the Mycroft, the, the Sherlock, the Watson, um, the, uh, the Moriarty, the basic characters um, have been have lived on in literature and in TV and film um, for a very, very long time. They have. And I think that it- I think people are obsessed with these characters for good reasons. I think um, people like to solve the puzzle. They mm. like the mystery to be solved. They also like the idea that somebody has the power to solve that and that that person is infallible. Um, this is hope. It does. Um, and so they're also willing to forgive the shortcomings of that character. Um, so, you know, like drug addiction, like drug addiction. (laughs) Um, although, you know, at the time that the, the original Sherlock Holmes stories came out, this wasn't necessarily as, I mean, it was definitely not, it was frowned upon. And certainly the Watson character is not happy with how Sherlock uses cocaine, but it doesn't, you know, but Sherlock doesn't use dirty, dirty drugs he doesn't go into no. drug drugs he uses clean cocaine he uses clean it is, it is a way of stimulating stimulating his mind when right. he's not busy solving puzzles and it's just like if you think about that his just that idea is so interesting in terms of a character who um craves mental stimulation so much that he requires these substances to keep himself busy um and well can we talk about can we dive into some of this um the Holmesian deduction. Sure. Because um, I think that's like a hallmark of this character, too. Right. It's it's using a, acute observation to deduct certain things about people. So we've all seen Sherlock Holmes in his many iterations walk into a room and pick up on tiny little details that he sees at the scene and put together a puzzle and the answer to that puzzle or pieces to that puzzle. He sort of has a way of bringing clarity to the chaos of real life. And I think that, that the key piece in this is that he jumps to conclusions very quickly. Yeah. That the other detectives usually and Watson actually usually don't get to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he makes leaps and bounds. And then that, you know, and and in the Sherlock case, that is usually correct. But I would say in the real world... That creates some, there are some stumbling blocks related to this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. This is an area that I'm really fascinated by. And I've, there's a lot that's been written about this and studied recently. Um, uh, psychologist Daniel Kahneman, his new book, uh, or recent book, I don't know how new it is anymore, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow kind of ties into some of this, as well as Malcolm Gladwell's Blink. 
Um, and the basic idea of intuition and how intuition is a feeling. And what it does is it, it fills in the blanks of what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes intuition's good. Our pers- uh, there's been some cool studies about perceptions of teachers given just like a very short video snippet and then matching that against real end of semester perceptions. And they usually match up. Our in- intuition is pretty good. Well, it is. Um, and I do think that humans generally, it's a way to basically cut corners. It's it's yeah. a way to get to things quickly, to not waste time. I would suspect that at some point it was probably a survival instinct. Like, yeah. I'm looking out at this field. If I see a tiger, I should run. And you're maybe making these very, very quick decisions as a survival instinct. Um, and, you know, perhaps even drawing conclusions about um, finding a partner and yep. that kind of thing. But the problem with this kind of these kinds of leaps or the the downfall or shortcomings is that sometimes you are biased in your conclusions. Absolutely, and and that's why I'm so glad you mentioned the survival aspect of all of this. And so much of our our way of understanding the world is it comes down to survival and the benefits of social relationships and in group out group and all that kind of stuff that we can dive into. Um, but it, our intuition can kind of keep us safe and it makes generalizations. And sometimes those generalizations, while they might keep us safe, they also um, make biased decisions. They make stereotype decisions. They make decisions that outweigh um, uh, costs and benefits and all this kind of stuff. And they're feelings. They're not based on facts. They're based on feelings. Well, and also when they're developed, it, this actually is a little bit related to the episode where we talked about nostalgia, um, the Ready Player One episode in neuroplasticity, when you are basically your brain is starting to hardwire at a certain point and your, some of your intuitions and biases get stuck or they get they're they're created and formed on your previous experiences. And so they're they're kind of hardwired in. It's not that they're there forever because you can work against those yeah, our, if you realize brain, that they're there. But. Yeah, I mean, our brain stays plastic and we have the ability to uh, to challenge some of the stuff. And some of the cool research on intuition has shown that with with training, we can work around this stuff. So, for example, like looking at ER doctors, a lot of times they have to rely on intuition to make triage decisions. But those their intuition isn't tied to outcome data. They don't know what happens to these patients months and weeks later. If you tie it to that, you can actually help them to make intuitive decisions that are based more on evidence and improve intuition. Well, you know, and and it's, you know, back to the Malcolm Gladwell blink. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that he did, he took um, a few of one of the tests that the Harvard Implicit Project has put up. And if for folks who have not seen this, this is basically a bunch of tests that you can take related to uh, the elderly and uh, racial identity and gender, gender. yeah, um, and things like that. And it, we'll put a link up in the show. Yeah, notes, so. it's it's eye opening, honestly. <laughs> um, it would be shocking. To and see what, he was it, he was pretty upset to see that um, there he had a slight bias towards lighter skinned people, which actually is not unique to him. Um, a lot of people have this bias and it's one of those things, basically they're using the research to help people retrain their minds and to see that these biases occur and when they occur and why they occur. And it's, um, it's an interesting bit of research. Um, I don't think it's the most comfortable 
no. thing to do. But I think in these cases, um, it, I think they're using it for a positive um, end result, which is to basically show people that these things can be changed. Yeah. Um, and they do talk a lot about neuroplasticity on their website as there, well. It's, um, you know, it's a study uh, or it's a, um, an assessment that's been out since, um, since the nineties, um, over four and a half million people, I think have taken this test. So Mm -hmm. it's based on a wide variety of data and it's tapping into these very unconscious associations, Mm -hmm. things that Sherlock Holmes, I think the types of connections and seeing the, seeing the world, um, that kind of data that Sherlock Holmes would be interested in. It's there was a great um, great article that came out um, about psychologist Matthew Nock, um, and he's a guy who's taken some of these ideas of implicit associations and implicit bias, and and he's been called a suicide detective. Something someone who I think Sherlock Holmes would probably want to sit down and have a drink with. Mm-hmm. Um, and what Matt Nock does is he looks at people who are coming into the ER. Um, and experiencing um, thoughts about harming themselves gives them these tests and looks at follow-up data down the road. And with his implicit association test, he's been able to predict who is um, of risk of hurting themselves versus people who are not. So there is clearly intuitive. Uh, we make intuitive decisions. These things are based on feelings. They guide and influence our behavior to a degree that we do not understand. And Sherlock Holmes is someone who's able to kind of pick up on this invisible world of data that other people just don't. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why we're so fascinated by this guy. He, he's, it's almost like cameras that pick up on, on the infrared. It's right. this way of seeing this world that we don't see. And that's what Sherlock Holmes does. And I think that's why we're so fascinated by him. Right. Um, and, you know, there's other things that have spun off from Sherlock Holmes. And I think we're going to get into talking a little bit about some of these spinoffs. And one of them is, is the series house, which basically I think it's a closer, closer Joseph Bell (laughs) sort of (laughs) Sherlock Holmes, uh, because it is based on Dr. Gregory house, who is the Holmes character. And he and his team solve medical mysteries. And he is not the most likable character. Um, but people no, he's not likable. No, he really he's he, at all. <laughs> it's hard to sympathize with him a lot of times. Um, and he has a trusty sidekick, Wilson, i.e. Watson. Yeah. And he basically solves these medical mysteries. And in fact, other people uh, have solved real world medical mysteries or found similarities um, in real life. Um, there was a recent article that was in The New York Times about um a, a mystery, two mystery patients that were suffering from cobalt poisoning, which you don't from hip implants. That makes and, me think of Battlestar Galactica and cobalt, but that's probably not what we're talking about here. It, it isn't. <laughs> um, but basically, um, in Germany, this man in, in, who was suffering from these horrible symptoms was going from doctor to doctor, and um, this clinic at, run by a Dr. Schaefer, who basically is the doctor house. Um, over there he had remembered this episode from house and so tested the man you're kidding no (laughs) and um that in fact was correct and then in the u.s something similar happened although unfortunately it took them a lot longer to figure it out and um the the woman in this case had to go through a heart transplant before they figured out what the actual problem was which was the casing on her hip uh, implant had 
degraded. So you're saying basically that this doctor, this master diagnostician, saw this episode, got this idea when he was seeing a patient that, oh, this might be tied to this thing I saw in House. Yes. That actually, that, that episode of House led to saving someone's yes, life. Yes, it did. That's amazing. So that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's, so I think that this is just one more piece of evidence of why we find it so fascinating. You know, fascinating. When you were talking about that, I was thinking about how so much of our culture has become anti-science here in America. And a lot of the debates we have around climate change, a lot of the discussions we see around Capitol Hill are influenced by by feelings, by True. strong feelings, not necessarily fact and reasoning. And um, it, in this time of such um, emotion, mm-hmm. it is so cool to see these characters being um, coming back into the public consciousness that are really upholding science. True. And science is super cool. Science is the coolest. Science is amazing. Science is best. So we've got not just House, but if you step farther back from that law and order, I would argue is a descendant. Oh, yes. And I think I think CSI, too. And all of these procedural dramas that basically have them finding out uh, solving the, the big mystery. But the only thing I would say about those is that I think the Sherlock Holmes S character these are more team based. Yeah. If, does that make sense? Like the there's not, not the same. The formula is not quite the same, but I don't think the you archetypes. would. But I don't think you would have these series if you hadn't had Sherlock Holmes. Absolutely agree. Um, but Sherlock Holmes himself, his story has been so popular. So we especially of late, so, we have seen wh- why, a lot. So why is this? We, we've had a movie, Sherlock Holmes. We've got Sherlock on BBC. We've now got Elementary on CBS. Um, House, which really um, uh, is is based on Sherlock and has so many references to Sherlock. Why have we had so many versions of this character in such a short period of time? You forgot young Sherlock, that that goes on. (laughs) Yeah, I remember young Sherlock, yeah. That's a while ago, but still. um, I think that there's a lot of reasons behind this. Unfortunately, I think that one of the reasons has has to do with legal issues. Okay. Um, I... So I don't know if you're aware of this, but basically not very long ago, the copyright for Sherlock Holmes came up. Oh, my gosh. This makes so much sense. So and it was ruled that he Sherlock and Watson are in the public domain. The stories are not. So you'd still have to pay to use the stories, but you can use the characters and you can create new scenarios and things like that for them. So, for example, the BBC Sherlock, which is based on the original stories, um, I'm sure they've paid some type of royalty. They probably have had to because obviously they've based some on the a lot on the original stories. They've they've tweaked them, but they're still using ideas and characters from those stories. The names of the episodes are right, they're the same. So, uh, uh, or then, close to the same, but then elementary. Elementary is a very different very different take. animal. Yeah. So there or are even like, the the movie Sherlock Holmes. Right. So. Um, I, I would, you know, I, I know the Conan Doyle estate is probably not too psyched about this. And they were the people who originally brought forth these suits saying that, you know, they should be getting money for all this. And unfortunately they lost. So I got mixed feelings about this. I think, um, I, I always want, um, the creators of work, the content producers to be compensated at the same time. I think sometimes, uh, corporations can have a lot of strict rigid control um especially when it comes to 
fan uh, fan kind of stuff. Like, for example, um, anything that might mash up or play with media can get taken down off YouTube, stuff like that. So I, I've got mixed feelings about this, but it's a bit of an interesting experiment, isn't mm-hmm. it? That there have been so many recent works based on this person, based on these stories, and kind of um, a little bit of... Uh, of Darwinism here, see which version of the story sticks and which one really strikes a chord, which ones are kind of riding the coattails of other ones. It's just, it's interesting. Like, I wonder if the rights on, um, on Star Trek would expire. What would we see? How many versions of a Kirk and Spock and Picard would we see? How would it be different? How could people reimagine this kind of stuff? Um, that would be really interesting. And I guess that's what we're seeing here with Sherlock. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I also, it's a hard thing because, you know, we have seen some fan fiction from original things involve, like evolve into to new creations. Um, I don't always agree with those creations and yeah. I hesitate to bring up the big one that I'm thinking no, of. I know what you're thinking of. But I can't, I just can't do it right now. So <laughs> okay, that's okay. is that okay? I, I just I can't bring myself to do it. I think we've talked um, about it on another episode. I just can't bring myself to do it. Um, in any case, um, <laughs> I think that Sherlock would be popular anyway. I think that the copyright issue makes it easier for people to get into the game. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think he's just because of the time he was born, so to speak, um, and because of the number of stories and the obsession that we that humans have with solving the puzzle. Um, I think that that's why he's been so um, ingrained in our culture. So let's, let's and not just our culture, because no, keep in mind, global, worldwide, yeah, globally, there are things you know. Um, so. So let's dive into some of these modern versions. I think the first one was uh, Sherlock Holmes, the film. Um, Right. What was your take on that one? Eh, I thought it could have done so much better, quite honestly. I it was fine as an action film, I suppose. I liked some of the filmmaking. I and it's tough because I think Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law are fantastic. Yeah, they were were good as a team. I just felt like they went a little too... um, I don't know. It's, not, it's like basically summer blockbuster. That's yeah. what they went with them. And you don't need to do that with Sherlock Holmes. Um, I felt like they went a little too frat boy um, summer <laughs> blockbuster with them when yeah. it's, you know, it's Sherlock Holmes. He's too cool. You don't need to do that with him. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed them and I watched them. And obviously I pretty much watch anything related to Sherlock, but it doesn't mean that I don't have my favorites. Um yeah, you know, um, io9 had this article, uh, we'll put it in the show notes, about um, have there been too many reboots and are we killing creativity by kind of rehashing uh, a lot of these old franchises? And I think the Sherlock Holmes movie kind of does qualify as that because it was taking a lot of modern action film ideas and just putting putting on a layer of Sherlock on top. Right. To kind of tap into to interest that someone like you and I might have. But it was boring to me. It was it not was exciting. Yeah. And quite honestly, I feel the same way about elementary. You know, I feel the same way. So why, why do you feel that way? About that? I actually, you know, I know it got a lot of flack and I understand why. Um, I think that... Um, Moff- Talking about the gender change? With well, no, that doesn't bother me that much. I, I think that's fine. Um, I, I thought th- that was actually cool. I think that that was a cool idea. I don't feel like the writing and the characters are as interesting to me as BBC Sherlock. Uh, Stephen Moffat... Um, 
really um i i think he was quite upset and talked about this when when elementary was announced because he had basically wanted to bring sherlock over and felt like they had snagged his idea and just rebooted it so they didn't have to pay him, which I suspect is probably part of it. Probably true. And they so they have it based in New York. They have a female Watson. Yeah. Uh, and you know what? I really like Johnny Lee Miller. Uh, Miller. I really like Lucy Liu. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted it to be good. Um, the only way I can really watch it is if I don't think about it as Sherlock. And then it's sort of like a popcorn thing to watch, but it's not nearly as interesting to me as BBC Sherlock. Yeah, the thing that doesn't work for me about the CBS elementary, um, two things. One is Sherlock's relationships right? and Sherlock's deductive reasoning. The relationships, and the two are tied together Mm -hmm. because it's hard to do Sherlock in a way in which he's endearing, in a way in which you care about the character. Because him walking into a scene and saying, this, that, there, blah, 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 evidence solve. It's that it can come across as someone who's a bit crass, who's a um, not the most uh, lovable character. And I think that's how he come, comes across in elementary. I don't really believe the relationships too much. Sherlock just seems like he's an, um, an artifact, someone they hire and bring in to solve this stuff when they right. can't. So uh, it's the relationship piece that doesn't work for me. I've got a, a geek friend who I uh, work with, and he said that the show's gotten much better, and they've done some interesting things with the arch villain and all of that. Um, and we're not spoiling element; we're not going to go into spoilers in Elementary. But um, you know, my feeling with the show nowadays, since there's so much good TV, is if you aren't getting me early on, I, I just can't stick. I don't around. waste my time with no, because I've got so much stuff on my Netflix queue and on other stuff to get through. So much good quality TV in this era, this golden age of the TV drama. That I'm not going to stick around and watch right. a show. Well, and actually, it was my friend Jane who gave me the little trick about looking at it not as being Sherlock. Um, and she she was correct, but I'd, I'd agree with you. I think there's too many other things going on in terms of, you know, kind of a detective and gritty detective tale. I actually really like Ripper Street, which isn't directly a Sherlock thing, but it reminds me a little bit. And also BBC production, interestingly enough. Why is BBC so good right I now? I don't know. Oh, my gosh. We've um, got Sherlock. we got Downton. We've got... Uh, Doctor Who, um, mm-hmm. so much good stuff coming out. But um, so, so just to you know, we should probably wrap up well, a we little gotta, bit no, to we talk can't. about no, we gotta because we need about, to talk about BBC Sherlock. Gotta, yes, yes, okay. So I love the BBC Sherlock. I uh, swoon a little bit more. I, 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 I do too. I do too. What? I it grabs oh. me from the get go. Um, I think, they're like movies. Well, and I think that that's part of why it's successful. I think that Stephen Moffat especially is. Of Doctor Who fame. Of Doctor Who, and also uh, Mark Gaddis. Who plays Mycroft. But also of Doctor also, Who. Also of Doctor Who. I think they did an amazing job. Wibbly wobbly. I think they did an amazing job of structuring this whole thing, of, of unfolding the story, of interlinking the stories, of um, building up the relationships between Sherlock and Watson and other people in the series. It's very clever. They don't treat the audience like they're dumb. And no. you know what? Just going back to elementary, I think that that's part of what bothers me about it. Yeah. It's um, so, and why I prefer Sherlock. I think that uh, Benedict Cumberbatch does an incredible job. I also think Martin um, Freeman Mm -hmm. does an incredible job, and their chemistry cannot be beat. Well, and um, Andrew Scott, who plays uh, Moriarty, 
Um, he plays this really kind of fascinating modern take on on the character. Um, and it, it, I, what you were saying um, about the producers um, really updating the show is what I love about the show so much. Mm-hmm. It's a reboot done well. It's a reboot that is so true and harmonizes with the original canon, the archetypes, the relationships, the stories, while also making it modern and updating it in a way that not only makes the stories more um more relevant and more uh, consumable by today's audiences, but also in a way that um that enhances some of the stories originally. So text messages and the way smartphones and the way that Watson blogs. I love that he blogs and the blog is real. You can go to it. We'll we'll put it in the show notes. Um, I love that. I also love the fact that they update certain things like, you know, he's a drug addict, but he, you know, he wears nicotine patches and things like that. It's, they did a very smart job at updating it. Um, and he's he's kind of a superhero. His his deductive reasoning is more, um, it fits in this this Avengers, Batman, Justice League world um, where his power is deductive reasoning. Right. But they also give a bit of an explanation. They make him a little bit Asperger's. Yeah. They make him, they make you question whether he's a sociopath. And they have yes. a lot of references to that. Things that certainly in the original weren't even known about. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that You know, so they've really updated the whole thing, um, actually. And, and there, this has always been a thing about the Sherlock Holmes stories that people... And I think similar to the Lord of the Rings series and and all that, there aren't a ton of female characters that are involved with Sherlock Holmes. So they've updated the series to make that a little bit more realistic. Yeah. Um, And, you know, um, I love I love um, his mind palace. I love it a lot. Yes. Um, And it's, you know, um, I use that idea now in my intro psychology classes because anyone can make their mind, make a mind palace. It's tapping into these ideas of how our memory system is so visual and to really remember certain details, we can create these visual stories in our head. We'll put a, a link in the show notes to, to this, but there's things that you can do like the method of loci where you kind of imagine yourself walking into a location and putting different items into that location. And it's a way that significantly enhances your ability to remember stuff. A lot of people who win memory contests do things like this. And it's just like Sherlock. Right. Um, and it's, you know, and I think that kind of thing is what makes the show so interesting and what makes people so excited to see the next series. I already can't can't wait to see series four. And, <laughs> so. you know, just as my my swooning comment has to do with how our uh, principal leads have become such huge figures in in geek community mm-hmm. um so we've got benedict obviously who plays not only this amazing sherlock but he was arguably one of the best and worst parts of star trek into darkness yes um and we won't get into that here but we could do a whole episode on that um don't forget smog yes well that's what exactly what i was about to say they're both in hobbit right Right. Um, and doesn't it make you feel a little better that they love working with each other, with oh, each other yeah. so much? So <laughs> they, cute. they had to be in that together, too. <laughs> I kind of feel like the Sherlock show and our principal leads here 
were kind of the secret in geek community and now the secret's out yeah and it makes me happy that the secret it is makes out. me happy and i'm psyched to see them so successful although i'd argue with you that martin freeman all, all right, always had a bit of a following bbc office and oh that's right yeah like he he's been there for a while in my opinion but well, so what you think of series three conrad I thought it was good. Um, it didn't give me quite the excitement that the first series gave me. Um, mainly, I think that they're diving a little bit deep into some of the character development, and that's okay, too. I, I liked some of the things that they did. I liked the cameo by Irene Adler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I do like the progression, where it's going. Um, I felt like... The one thing lacking for me was some of the deductive reasoning, actually, and certain things that happened to Sherlock within series three that to me aren't quite as believable since they've built his character to be a certain thing up to that point. You know, I, I gotta, um, I agree with you about that. And um, you know, there's certain things that happen that I don't find believable in terms of his character at all. Um, and number one is how he reintroduces himself to the to Watson to the fact that he's alive that whole scene seemed that very brutal. that was really cold and, it was uh, cold and strange and and just I don't it was think funny sort of I didn't At find it to be points. I don't think I don't think Sherlock would have done that quite honestly I don't think um and I think what they were trying to get at is that he cares enough about Watson to to do this sort of buffoon like reintroduction and not be aware that it's going to affect him um and I don't know. I just feel I felt like it was a cheap shot in some ways. Yeah. But I think he you do get the impression that Sherlock learns his lesson and realizes that um, he really hurt Watson and, and, and publicly reintroducing himself in this way. Um, uh, you know, I I have similar concerns with you about series three. I think this is the first season of Sherlock we're seeing after it's gained such a huge fantastical following. Um, and maybe that's changed the show a little bit. Um, I really loved the wedding episode, the middle episode. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. I think it's the rule of three, the sign of three. The sign of three. I love that episode. And the middle episode is usually always kind of a one-off. It's, it's a little bit different than the other, uh, two episodes in the series. And I thought there was, um, his his uh, best man speech was brutal and funny and amazing and uplifting and then really sad and depressing and it, it kind of this full bouquet of emotions and I enjoyed that that episode a lot. It was, but I just I enjoyed things about the episode. I did not enjoy other things, and I'm trying not to get too spoilery. I am, but I, we I you said know. spoiler alert. I, think I know, we, we I can know. Drop it. Um, drop the I, I think what I don't like about series three is that I think Sherlock as they've built him to be would have figured out the issues with Mary Watson uh, much earlier on. I don't think yeah. he would have just left it um, and moved on. I don't think he's that, he's that blindsided by his relationship with um, John that he would have missed it. That's my only thing. I got to disagree with you. Cause I, I think, um, I, I know where you're going here and I, I see it, but I do think that a big part of season three or series three, I'm sorry, was um, how his relationship with Watson is sort of his Achilles heel. It's it's his, it's the one thing that he really, Watson is the one person that he really loves and cares about. And Watson is his family, despite his relationship with Mycroft. Um, 
And so I could see him being blinded to Mary because of that. My big criticism of series three is I didn't really care about the larger story, um, about the villains we were dealing with. I really felt like we were feeling the absence of Moriarty, which is why I'm so glad he's back at the end. Um, I just I didn't really care much about the story. I, I agree with you there. And I'm going to object to to that. Uh, the the. I, I don't think I don't think that the Sherlock we know would have let his mind stop working until he figured out what was going on with Mary. I don't think he would have accepted her as quickly as he did. Mm. And I think that that should have played into it. But we can agree to disagree on that. We'll have a super um, but that's it. I, I obviously love I love the whole series. So I'm not going to argue my little my little annoying nitpicky things about it. But is this one of those situations where like every episode prior has been so right on and now there's been a few fumbles? So you, I, I think that that's the thing you and I are both agreeing with is series three is different a little bit. Yeah, definitely. From the previous and maybe this is them developing. And so series four is going to be very different. So we'll see. So I'm, I'm, but I trust the creators. I trust the writers enough that, and the actors for that matter, that I, I think we're going to see another strong series after this. Uh, can I just say, I just hate that there's only three episodes. Like, uh, the but quality that makes is it, so the, good. But that's the I, thing. They're each a mini movie. So if you were to break this down into a whole season, you could probably get almost, you know, depending on the network you're on, you could probably get almost a whole thing out of that with the, with the, you know, commercial break. So I have no issue with that, but I just wish, I wish they get on with it. So, yeah. Um, But that's the thing we, I think apparently we're going to, we might have to wait like a year or two until Mm. the next series. Well, that's only because they're all popular. Yeah. Popular. What can you do? But I think, I think we have to. Can I do it? Can I do it? You can do it. It's time to enter the infinite crossover chamber. So today, in the Infinite Crossover Chamber, we have Sherlock from the BBC Sherlock versus House Doctor Doctor Gregory House. Um, and the question today is, who is the better investigator in a certain situation? So, what's the situation? I think we're going to have to use the scenario from The Sign of Three in Series Three of BBC Sherlock. So, if there's like a medical investigation right. that they both have to solve, yep. Oh, that's brilliant, Conrad. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, All right. So it's basically like there. So here's the situation I'm guessing is you've got Sherlock over here. You've got House over here. They're both seeing this kind of medical uh, crime that's occurred. Maybe they're doing like kind of an autopsy stuff, trying to figure things out. And it's kind of race to the finish. Right. Like who's going to solve this the best, most accurately um, and figure out what happened. Right. Ooh. And I feel like I'm going to solidly come down on the side of House. What? Why? Because he's the medical mystery master. Because uh, he will basically take that soldier, do an MRI, do whatever he's got to do, and he's going to figure it out. Plus, he doesn't believe anybody, so he's going to figure out all the lies going on. He's going to be fined. And uh, and and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Sherlock, is just getting all emo in this particular. He's not going to be all emo. He is. He's going to be. Oh, he's going to walk around, and say a lot of witty kind of things. He's going to enlist the help of Molly, who is the pathologist who can help him out with. House some has of the a whole stuff. team of doctors who are super who smart. Hate him? Maybe who all hate him. They might hate him, but they still love their jobs, well, and they love to find out the mystery too. So I a think a lot of people hate Sherlock too. So that's I should really lead with that argument. But um, 
Well, no, hold on. I'm going to play with this. So we've got Molly, who's a pathologist. We've got Minecraft, who's got all these connections with MI6 and who kind of cares about Sherlock enough to uh, let him get help when he needs it. Um, we've got he's got Watson. You're totally going off the rails with with Minecraft. Yeah, no. Sherlock has this whole team of people. And Maybe. here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Um, first off, Sherlock is not an active addict all the time. Whereas, isn't that like a big issue with House and a big? Well, it is because he has chronic pain. But I don't think that it. Well, yes, I guess it does at some point um, get in the way. But I mean, generally, he's a a functional addict. Um, but he's got Chase. He's so pessimistic. Everybody lies. Cameron. Everybody lies. Well, they do, and he solves the mystery. We're not talking about who's more likable. We're talking about who's more effective. This is true. Did I just silence you, Ollie? What I'm thinking. I'm using my, I'm using my deductive reasoning here. I mean, I just think, you know, Ooh, I got the grumpy myth- misanthrope with the cane is going to win out in this one. Ooh. And you know why he's going to win out? Why? Because he'll probably, like, hit Sherlock over the head and, like, beat him to the finish line or something. This is exactly what I was about to bring up. Um, Sherlock would win in a fight against House. But they're not fighting. They're getting their mystery on. What if they have to fight to go get some, like, fancy fingerprint I think you're trying to cheat now. No way. No way. Sherlock Sherlock is physically stronger, and um, he has taken on Minecraft, whereas House's arch nemesis is, like, an hospital administrator. Sherlock can get down and dirty. He's a master of disguise. Whereas House has never had to do any type of disguise stuff. He doesn't need to do disguise. He's way too smart. No. Well, okay. Hold on. And he, he has all the technology and the tests. So I think medically he's going to win. Um, That's why we have Watson and Molly. See, that's the thing is Sherlock will do the do- deducing, the deducing, and he has the backup where he needs to, to solve the crime for anything that he might be missing out on. Well, I think I think we're going to have to leave this crossover chamber as an impasse. What but, an but, intense crossover. But a little here. intense. But one thing I will say is that I really, really, really would love Dr. Gregory House and BBC Sherlock to get together and have tea or something. I would love to see them in a face-off in real life. Here's No, here's what I want. I want the doctor to go pick up both in his TARDIS <laughs> and for them to have a tea party together in a park i think that would they be probably amazing. wouldn't have a tea party they would probably have some sort of vicodin like <laughs> opioid <laughs> party <laughs> let's face it it would not be as clean as a tea party that's true but w- would the doctor indulge in those in those you mean dr house or no the doctor why would the doc he's an alien it's not gonna have the same effect on his alien system oh uh, that's true that's true it's kind of like spock how he's kind of immune to like alcohol right. or something so hmm. okay all right well we uh we disagree but um uh we're gonna have the super fantastic nerd listeners chime in let us know who won this uh this crossover uh house md or sherlock holmes all right well i think we need to talk about some top fives which let's, is a very very hard list let's close out the crossover chamber that was good Thank you. I'm going for some laser kind of 80s sound effects here. Nice. Yeah. Um, I don't know how those are involved in the, the doors to the chamber, but there are lasers. So I, I want to start our, our top five by 
saying that, you know, the rules of the top five for those people who have not listened or or forgets. Um, so basically, Ali and I are, are both uh, talking about who our top fives are. These are not all encompassing and we'll have some honorable mentions, but we don't typically mention the people from the crossover chamber. Exactly. So, so Sherlock Holmes and, and Dr. House are out. Otherwise, it would be like one and two. Obviously. We know Sherlock would beat House. Right. Hey! Oh, I got you. I got you. I tricked Conrad. I tricked Conrad. Cheater. <laughs> Topic. Um, anyway, um, but we have a lot of honorable mentions. And I will say with this particular list, it was hard. Yeah, because so many people are detectives. Well, they are, but it's also, there are so many cool ones out there, and so yeah. many of them have filled this certain spot of the universe for me that um, I just, it's really, really hard to pick. So what I have done is I've picked some, I've tried to go sort of across some different genres in time. Yeah, um, cool. Because I think initially my list included a lot of PBC characters, honestly. Um, slash PBS. Slash PBS. Masterpiece um, Theater. Or Mystery, Masterpiece rather. Mystery. No, just Mystery, exclamation mystery. point. Um, but, uh, so, so we'll see how well I did, but, um, And I gotta give a disclaimer, too. I, um, I tried to really exclude any of my previous top five picks from previous Me episodes. too. So I have to, I have to basically, you know, so obviously Constantine, John Constantine from Hellblazer would have been in there for me, but and I don't want to. And Batman my number one, but I right. can't pick Batman we can't, for everything. We can't, well, you would pick Batman <laughs> for would. everything if you were allowed, but. Or Spock. True, yeah. true. But um, so I think we have to just say that. And, uh, you know, one of the things I really like about our top fives and what we've been seeing just in sort of feedback is that people have been sharing what their top fives are. And that's yeah, what, that's kind of the it. point of it. So love that. I would love to hear what other people. Conrad, think. can you indulge me for just one moment? What? I mentioned Spock. Again? What? Yes, I mentioned Spock. And we, I got to point out that, like, do you know how Spock's like maybe related to Sherlock Holmes? I am aware, yes. So, like, in um, Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, he says, an ancestor of mine maintained that if you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. So, he's quoting Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. And my favorite part of, about this are the fan theories that, okay, maybe Spock's mother, human born, was related to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Or related to Sherlock Holmes. But my favorite theory is maybe Sherlock Holmes was a Vulcan. I think that's pretty cool. That would be really well, cool. Well, and now that we're on the Star Trek bent, um, Data <laughs> has a bit of a Sherlock Holmes interlude on oh, the yeah. holodeck, right? Yeah, in the episode Elementary Dear Data, he um, basically has to battle with a self-aware Moriarty. And there's a sequel episode to it, too. Um, and those episodes are so awesome. He's pretending to be Sherlock Holmes. That's actually how I got introduced to the character. So um, thank wait, you for Wait, wait. You oh. got introduced to Sherlock Holmes that late? To sure, through Star Trek The Next Generation. Oh, my when gosh. When I was young, when I was watching Ollie, it. Ollie, really? Young. No yeah. Hound of the Baskervilles in English class for you? No. Uh, I didn't read a lot in English class. Uh, I read a lot of Cliff Notes. All right, all, all right. right. So, I'm not going to give you a hard time. Top five, top five. So, I'll let you go first since I was just blabbing on about Star Trek as um, I usually do. So my number five is, it's it's a bit of a, a light one, and I will give it that. However, I do have a... You know, it's an entertaining thing for me, um, and it is Harry Dresden of the Dresden Files. Now, Harry D Dresden is a magician detective. 
in this series of books. That's a cool combination. By Jim Butcher. They are a little bit of a, I will call them my beach books, my train books. If they're, if you want to be into lighter kind of things, they're definitely fun. There was a series on that was not very successful um, where they tried to make it into a television show. I watched it out of deep love, but it it was not as good as I wanted it to, to be. But mm-hmm. Harry Dresden is a fascinating character. Um, cool. And you should check him out. I should check that out. Um, my number five is Judge Joseph Dredd from the comic series 2000 AD. Um, okay, so don't judge us by the Sylvester Stallone movie, <laughs> um, which was funny and bad. Um, but what I like about this is it does highlight uh, police and how police function in this dystopian world of uh, of a police state, um, themes of authoritarianism. Um, and it's just a really cool storyline. And throughout all of it, um, Judge Dredd kind of remains this noble figure who's doing his best in a pretty messed up system. The graphic novel is cool. Or, you know, the comic series is cool. The um, There's a movie that just came out a couple years ago, small budget, but it was pretty good. Carl Urban played a pretty authentic Judge Dredd. Um, so I thought that would be a pretty cool nod to police officers and how they're, um, they're detectives. They got to solve stuff. And so, yeah. Cool. Um, my number four was going... It, it's in a in a film sense, so I was going to go over to movies, and it is Agent Clary Starling from Silence of the Lambs. Oh, good pick! Now, good pick. there's also some really good. Obviously, the books are excellent, and so there's you know. But I, I think that in in terms of solving the mystery, she finally gets there, and it's it's super suspenseful, and and it's one of those films and books that have. Um, Left a mark on me. I'd also mm-hmm. say Red Dragon is probably the better story, mm-hmm. although not necessarily With the better Edward film. Yeah, yeah, but not the better film. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think that she was a great character. She was an interesting character. And um, yeah, that's why she's It's a good four. pick. It's also um, one of the only horror thriller movies to win um, win Best Picture, I believe. Right. So that's that's pretty cool. Uh, good pick. My number four is, is, is a little strange, um, but I love the character. It's Dr. Samuel Beckett from Quantum Leap. Hmm. And here's why he is a detective. I don't think you need to prove this. He solves stories. He solves the mysteries within his, within his, but I think you're pushing it a little bit, but okay, I'll give it to you. He solves mysteries. Um, I appreciate your flexibility here. Um, They're not always crimes, but there's problems. He has the help of Al and Ziggy, who are kind of like his Watson. And every episode is a new problem to solve. And sometimes they're crimes, but you know, they're cool stories. And um, I just like the character. um, And I love, um, I just love that show. Um, let's hear what your number three is. Oh, okay. Um, my number three are agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully from 1990s X-Files. That was my number two. So we have a mind meld sort of a, close. We've got a close mind meld. Yes. A mind meld, um, I guess, or something. Yeah. So I like how <laughs> they're, they're detectives, but they're detectives in different ways. Um, she's using facts. He's using intuition. So they kind of... And faith. And faith, and they they come up, and they sometimes switch uh, roles a little bit as the series goes on. But when I think of detectives, I often think of them. So that's why they made it into my number two, and apparently your number 
three. Yeah, and I love how, you know, we're talking about how Sherlock Holmes was capturing a zeitgeist, and I think X-Files was capturing some of that conspiracy theory, government is bad, government is hiding stuff, um, stuff that was really big in the 90s, and apparently now, too, with some of the stuff going on. Um, and it, yeah, cool show. What's your uh, number three, then? My if number X-Files three. was two, what's your number my three? My number three was Veronica Mars. That's my number two. <laughs> well, there we go. So we, we flipped a little bit. But uh, Veronica Mars was, to me, great because she she embodied the whole teenage detective thing. She It was very modern, and it was cutting edge in, so, in terms of some of the things she had to deal with. To me, she's like a much better Nancy Drew Mm-hmm. Um, she, she's not as, you know, it's, some of the issues are very heavy within the show. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed the series. I think that there were some muddy pieces within it, but overall I really loved it. And I, you, I'm not sure what the movie's going to be like, but I think that that's a testament to the fan following it had. That's why it got um, my number two. That's why it was so high mm-hmm. on my list is it's one of the first major motion pictures to be sponsored by Kickstarter. And that's that's a real testament to the fan community, how beloved this character is. Um, after all these years, it's coming back as a movie. And I don't care if it's going to be good or bad. I just think it's awesome that it's coming back. Me too. And I think Kristen Bell is just so adorable and awesome. And She's awesome. Yeah. The writing was great with the show as well. And I do think that the whole, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. In fact, I just heard that... Um, it is being released very soon and, um, they actually had to add different, more screening times because fans have bought out all the initial screening oh, wow. times. So I think we're going to need to see this actually be a deal, a deal breaker or not, sorry, a game changer rather in terms of how certain things are done. I have mixed feelings about that, but I am really excited to see how they do. And I, and I hope that it's good. And I just got to say we've had, you know, 2013 was in so many ways, such a bad year for gender and genre films. And we haven't had a lot of strong female leads and we haven't had a lot of diversity in the types of female characters we've seen on screen. A lot of the female characters we've seen have been in service of the male characters. So I think it's awesome that a character like Veronica Mars is going to be in motion picture theaters across the country. Definitely. Um, is it time? It's time. Number one. Number one pick. You go. Columbo. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> so um, I have such fond memories of um, watching Columbo with my dad. My dad was a huge fan of Columbo. And I'm so glad he got me into it. Um, you know, th- so it was kind of these TV movie episodes that aired from the late 60s all the way to the early 2000s starring Peter Falk. Um, and I just love how he, unlike Sherlock, his way of solving crimes is by building this rapport and being very unassuming. He drives around in this old car, um, has his old trench coat, messed up hair, kind of frazzled, but he's very endearing and people kind of give him evidence and give away information because he's kind of a nice guy and he kind of plays dumb. He's got this thing, it's sort of this Columbo technique and he's like, uh, now, uh, help me understand here. Uh, you're saying this, but I'm seeing this and I just don't understand and that technique and that kind of way of building approach is something that I heard a lot about in grad school when I was learning how to do psychotherapy and how to better um, understand 
um, a client's perspective. They said, well, kind of do the Columbo technique. Well, it's so. not just, I mean, it's a little bit, it's a little bit Matlock, a little bit yeah. Jessica Talbot um, and all that kind of thing. So, so stepping into some, well, the later versions were kind of tapping into nostalgia of true, that. True, true. And I think that's why it probably worked for my dad and I. My dad was getting some of the nostalgia, the Matlock stuff. Mm-hmm. And for me, I just thought the character was so friendly. And don't and forget Mrs. Columbo. Yeah, Mrs. Columbo is Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. And uh, there's an episode where um, uh, William Shatner is in there as well. And um, Columbo has to solve this crime that I think William Shatner committed, <laughs> which, is, which is awesome. Um, What's your number one? So my number one was very, very difficult to choose. Um, it was between Jane Tennyson in Prime Suspect and Sam Tyler and Gene Hunt as a team with Life on Mars. Um, ultimately, I think I have to go with Sam Tyler and Gene Hunt in Life on Mars. Um, although mm-hmm. Jane Tennyson, it was it was really like just so thin. It, these are both BBC series, by the way. Um, although Life on Mars was... They tried to to introduce this into the U.S. and it was not as successful. Um, and it's not just because of the detectives and what they have to figure out. Um, for those of you who have not seen this, I don't really want to spoil it. That would be me. I've um, never, I, I so, don't know anything about this. Um, but I'll give a little bit of a synopsis. And it's basically this detective, uh, Sam Tyler, wakes up in another life and he doesn't know what's going on and it's a little quantum leap it's a little quantum leap and it's trying to understand whether this is a dream whether there's some time travel involved yeah, um it's, it's a very smart storyline and it's also very well written and the rapport between uh sam tyler the character sam tyler and the character gene hunt is really good it keeps you guessing it's a really um it was a great show that I really enjoy and I highly recommend. So go for it. Um, Sounds good. I'm, and, I'm, I'm glad you're recommending something that probably a lot of our listeners may not have heard. Right. Um, and then in the the uh, prime suspect vein, which is going to go into my top honorable mention, mm-hmm. um, Jane, Jane Tennyson is played by Helen Mirren. This is from like the 90s. Oh my I also, God, I love Helen Mirren. And I also saw this on Mystery. This is when it, it was kind of released. That's how I saw it in the US. Yeah. And there was, I think they did another episode in like 2006 or something. But she's a pretty intense detective, um, a strong female lead, really just not, I mean, this is not a sentimental role that you're looking at. This is a detective that's suffering from alcoholism. She's amazing at what she does. A little bit in the vein of Sherlock mm. and Gregory House. She is a damaged character. Mm. And Helen Mirren really just, she is so amazing in this. And I, I want to say that this is one of the first things I ever saw her in. And it made me a fan of hers for life. Um, she can. There's nothing she can do that's not amazing. Right. Um, <laughs> so it's not, it's not by no means a light show to watch, but it is very good. I think you can probably see this on Netflix or I'm sure you can find it elsewhere, but cool. Um, but let me just mention a few of my honorable mentions. Let's run through them, yeah. Another, another. It's weird how many of the BBC shows I really enjoy, but Luther is one that's mm-hmm. really incredible. Um, and then we go down into my my sentimental list. Um, we are we already mentioned uh, Jessica and from Murder She Wrote and Matlock. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we got to get into Inspector Lindley, Perry Mason, Doctor Who. I would throw in there. Um, of course, Doctor Who must be evoked in every <laughs> for me every, every episode. <laughs> um, l- let's see, uh, Detective Hardigan from Zen City, Sam Spade, Kojak, uh, Kojak. Detective Poirot, uh, Nick and Nora Charles from The Thin Man. If huh. you've never seen that, go for it. Magnum PI, 
Charlie's Angels. Monk. Originals, reboot, which Charlie Angels? It's all good. Um, Dexter, Scooby-Doo Gang, and Buffy Gang. Angel. Dirk Gently. I gotta go with Rick Deckard from Blade Runner. Um, Rorschach from Watchmen, which also must be invoked in every episode. <laughs> You're like stealing all my honorable yes! wishes. Um, and even though, you know, I, I like the show Castle primarily because I adore Nathan Fillion. Who doesn't? And so I think Beckett and Castle have to be in there, but they're not like my favorite detectives. Yeah. Um, but Let's they just, deserve an honorable can we mention. we just give an honorable mention just to Nathan Fillion just for being awesome? And just for being Nathan Fillion. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, we can. Um <laughs> So that's, you know, I'm sure I'm missing a ton, but those were the first 20,000 um, that came. Oh, I also had the um, sort of the weird religious detectives like Father Dowling Mysteries and uh, <laughs> Brother Cadfail, which were these really weird um, mysteries involving this monk and his like cohort solving mysteries in the Welsh countryside. <laughs> so there's some really good ones out there and some super obscure ones. You you got most of them. I'm just going to run through a few that you didn't mention. Um, Batman. We are we already I kind of already talked about that. Spock data that gets a lot of the big ones out of the way for me. Um, I'm going to say Sam and Max from Sam and Max hit the road. Awesome video game that I used to just love. Dick Tracy. Oh, that's a good one. Right. Um, Inspector Gadget. He's not that good. (laughs) He's not a good detective, Ollie. But but he's um, he's cool. There's a cool theme song. The villain's cool. Is it his daughter who kind of is like she's actually the good detective? Yes. Um, So do 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 do. Inspector Gadget is awesome. Um, Scooby Doo, you already mentioned. And I got to say, Scruff McGruff. Chicago, Illinois. Scruff the crime dog. Because Isn't it McDuff the crime dog? Isn't it? Yeah. Well, McGruff. McGruff, sorry. McGruff. Yeah, I think his first name is Scott. Wait, no. It's Scuff McGruff. Scuff McGruff. Anyways, McGruff the crime dog for, and those public awareness ads that came out. Take a um, bite of crime. Take a bite of crime. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it actually helped ki- kids kind of stay safe and prevent crimes. Um, so he's he's got to be thrown on a list as well. All right. Well, I think, you know, I know I I would love to hear other people um, tell us what their lists are. Let's but. start that conversation. Um, come to the website, superfantasticnerdhour.com. You can also um, tweet us at Nerd Hour on Twitter or let us know individually. And where can people find you? Comment. I am Prince. On Twitter, and then I also have my zombie podcast, which is on Twitter as Reanimated PCast, and Reanimated.com, I think, is our um, our site. I have to double check that. Awesome, awesome podcast. You guys really do dive into all things zombie, which um, actually there's a lot of stuff out there. That's one of the things I have discovered as listening to your guys' podcast Oh my goodness, there's so much zombie lore out in the ether. And sometimes some crossover with detectives. Indeed. Trying to figure out how the outbreaks break <laughs> how out. How the outbreaks are going That's to happen. My one of my favorite zombie books, World War Z. Indeed. Not the movie, the book. Uh, awesome detective story, basically. Um sorry, it's reanimatedpodcast.com. Do 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 correction. Correction. Um and where can we find you, Ollie? Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Olima2. I am also the science fiction psychologist at BrainKnowsBetter.com. And with that, I think we're putting the wraps on another episode. 
Right. And join us next time for our discussion of sci-fi films and Oscar snubs. Dun, dun, dun. Until then, live long and prosper. Indeed. Indeed.